0: Yeah. Uh when do we want to do presents? We can do presents immediately. Do you want to do presents now? Do we yeah, do we have enough hands? I we might have, have to hand recruit hands? Steve to
1: um to Steve, do presents. Steve's gonna
0: to have to stop eating quite so furiously and realise that there might be a better moment to do that. Why do
1: we
2: always get a hard time about uh,
1: that? Because
0: you're the only person who's
2: he's trying to quite eat, he's being professional, he's trying to eat before we broadcast. Being professional, I'm feeding a child. And broadcasting. And broadcasting. And eating <laughs> yourself. not This is this
1: yourself. is why they call me the um the weather be Robbie Savage. They do.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that Robbie's well known for uh, multitasking. No, he really is. He,
1: oh, come on! The stuff Robbie Savage can do whilst whilst broadcasting is is astonishing. So what talk utter rot? What? Do, what so do you, what do you need me to do? The presents are here on the table. These are the fruits of my trip to Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you came uh, back with something tangible. There are exactly. Didn't see any football matches. There are three <laughs> presents, and you have to each choose. Which present you want? Oh. Oh. So, Steve, would you like to? Oh well, display the presents for people. Okay,
3: Shall I, I'll spread them out. So, you can take that one out of its packaging. I don't. I don't need to remove it from the packaging to know what it is. This is no. a Bocka Juni- Junior's T-shirt. Yeah, in a large. In a large. Do you want? Do you want to, try, to hold that s- up against the? Thing
0: it's a, a lovely T-shirt. I might have to pull myself out. The
1: one observation I would make is that it's quite hard to find. Like, sizes are weird in Argentina. That's oh, what then. I found. That was yeah.
2: a small large.
1: It, yeah, that's what I mean. The mediums were very small. That is, that is beautiful. A, that's a river plate in a medium. I reckon you'll that's get nice. a mass nice nice of that. And then, so this white one, which is slightly damp from the rain, is basically for Steve.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that is genius. That is fantastic. This is a white T-shirt.
0: Steve, Steve mo- sh- moved on to the white T-shirt that is his. Put Sorry. the river one into Chinch's coffee. Did yeah, I that's it. I'm happy with that. I take you oh, having the white no. one then, are you? Well, no, because
3: I, I felt like
1: I Let needed see to it. Let explain. It. The
3: white one I think should be for Steve. Oh my word! This is the. the it's, it says <laughs> goal of the century, Mexico eighty-six, Argentina two, England one, and it's like an overhead. Image of the pass and move of Maradona's second goal in that game, which of course, as we all know, led to the yeah. greatest bit of television football <laughs> commentary know. ever. And Ed. From Ed, Barry Davis. Ed is very saying, much appreciative of it. You have to say that. Oh, you have it. to say that's fantastic. You Magnific- have to say. Isn't it magnificent? Oh, is it yeah. magnificent? So is it magnificent?
2: Yeah. He took out seven Englishmen.
1: Yeah,
3: but. Yes, which one is Terry <laughs> but, but one of them was Steve <laughs> Hodge. That uh, does oh, yes. That's so right so It's a out, smaller dot Take the out others. six international footballers I, I only discovered Very very recently That uh, Steve Hodge Was basically Held to blame By the England dressing room For the outcome of that game Oh really <laughs> I heard <laughs> some, somebody I can't remember Another member of the squad Basically saying that You know He hadn't tracked his runner And it was his fault Yeah
0: no, it's absolutely true.
2: Sure, so it wasn't Patricia Hodge that was playing. <laughs> no, it was definitely Steve. <laughs> Those are um, who's
3: Patricia
0: Hodge. <laughs> <This> is, <laughs> who's Patricia Hodge. This is like Magnus Pike. You are making references that only very very few people. Patricia Hodge is still alive and acting today. Um, we're going to have to. We're just going to have to Google.
2: Who's we
1: Patricia have to Google? Hodge. Was she the woman in Keeping um, Up Appearances? So t-
2: t- do t- you remember Patricia Hodge. Miranda? The um, Comedies Miranda. Yeah, Miranda's Miranda.
1: heart. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah.
2: yeah, says Ed. Who the woman who always comes in and says, I, I, what I like to call whatever, and yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, That yeah. woman, that's Patricia Hodge. Oh, and what, is she famous? Seen, never seen. Is that. she famous? She's in Miranda. Well, she's apart apart from that, apart oh, from being in Miranda, she's been in a plethora of we have British
1: an, comedy. We have an international audience, chinch. We shouldn't be talking about Miranda, a largely forgettable 2010 sitcom.
2: <laughs> or maybe but, we should.
3: She's transatlantic, Miranda. Do you think she is? Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, BBC she's quite America big. would yeah. have been all over that, Chinch,
2: but, but, Come on. But because what? of the no, she's big in the UK. She's big in America. She's been. She has been in a
3: relatively. Successful Hollywood movie, really, of the chick flick type. I say I like a chick flick. Ch- was she a also in Call the Midwife? Yes. She was
0: in Call the Midwife. And yeah. Call the Midwife is, is massive, definitely yeah.
2: trans. Is chick flick when Steph Horton just helps the ball on around the corner? <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. true. Yeah, and sure what I did there runs into uh, space? Right? No. Eh?
3: who's who's on the end of it though?
2: Um, oh, who's what? that woman that plays for Brazil that's really good at scoring goals? Marta,
0: that's her. Uh, because it's a, an international oh, right. team they put together. It's Just before we get one. to the point where Chinch asks somebody to twerk, let's do this. <laughs> yeah. this no, I wouldn't this. do that. No, 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 Hang no. Hang on, no, you've no. got to choose
1: the t shirts. Who's having River? Who's having Bocker? Well, well, I'll,
0: I'll have Bocker if it fits, but if it doesn't Chinch, you have that, and I'll have River. All right, well, okay. I'll, you make all the decisions then. Why no. don't you? So I'm getting to the end of this story <laughs>
3: I, I think I think you're gonna I think you're gonna have to go with River there's no way that medium is fitting Chinch
1: I did want to buy Chinch a singlet
0: <laughs> oh why didn't you because uh, I couldn't
1: find a nice one Chinch oh, okay. I didn't want to buy you a bad singlet I think you I find was, it. Yeah, I I didn't find a nice thing. one That's either, true. but still gave him the singlet thank, thank you Rory thank you very much, no, I like oh, much Steve yours was drenched in the rain do wash it before you wear it I shall at the
0: very least this is Set Piece Menu the podcast where four friends talk football over food on a significant week for us and not just because of the gifts Uh, it is our second anniversary and fittingly we came joint second in the Football Supporters Federation Podcast of the Year Award so congrats all around with that in mind with me Hugh Ferris our Steve Wyeth, runner-up in the Football Supporters Federation Podcast of the Year Award. Rory Smith, runner-up in the Football Supporters Federation Podcast of the Year Award. And Andy Hinchcliffe, who back in September 1996, was runner-up in a League Cup contest with York at Bootham Crescent. Congrats. (laughs) Oh, that
2: that is one of my... Actually, in the dressing room after the game, I remember the words of Joe Royal.
0: Since you made your England debut, lad, you've gone backwards. (laughs) Thanks, boss. (laughs) And that was just your passing. Uh, We also have a fifth member of the pod today, and that is, perfectly timed, the contribution and first of many from Ed Whittington-Smith, who uh, becomes the, as we've been together for two years, becomes the official fifth member, uh, for for which we're very grateful. And hummus and hot dog rolls are going down beautifully.
1: Uh, for the time being.
0: <laughs> Until they come uh, back up again. This will, not,
1: this will not last, this peace, this tranquility. Uh, so let's broadcast while we can.
0: Let's take advantage. You and also, thank Steve for the incredible hot dogs that he has provided in my kitchen. So I claim part responsibility. What
2: was so incredible was hot dogs in a bun with yep. ketchup and mustard is one thing. Then Steve says, do you want caramelised Onions.
0: I think you find they're caramelized um, shallots. Sh- oh. oh, my. Even How much better can it get? Even pe- better, Steve. Posh people's onions shallots. Yes, yeah, so they were left over from something that I bought too many for. <laughs>
3: yeah, you do have Hugh to thank for the caramelization because <laughs> I was just going to give you regular onions. Oh,
0: changes everything. Uh, well, you can get in touch with the podcast, which means for all those people around the table who would like to eat, they now have about five minutes to do that. You can do it via Set Piece Menu on Twitter, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook. Just search for Set Piece Menu. Um, thank you to everyone who both on email and also Twitter pointed out that we made a huge error a couple of weeks ago. This is from Fred Schlichting is representative of the response to that error. Hello from the Norwich of the USA, Columbus, Ohio, says Fred. Not to be picky, but you mistakenly credited Mia Jovovich with the starring role in Run, Lola, Run. The star of the German-language film was, in fact, Franca Potente, uh, Jason Bourne's girlfriend from the earlier movies. And When when did all this happen? The Patricia Hodge of the German movie-making scene, I would imagine. Easy mistake to make because of the weird late-90s obsession with orange hair, says uh, Fred. This is one of those... uh, Uh, episodes that we plough on without you, Chinch. Well, that's maybe why you shouldn't. Because you would have known it was terrible terrible errors like that. I'd I'd, I'd have told you that. Thank you very much indeed. You are very familiar with with a 50 to 60-year-old female actress. Well, no,
3: his knowledge of independent Mm. German cinema would have steered us on the right path.
0: It's well known. Uh, Stephen Chicken Mm. is back in touch with us after a while. Hello, Stephen. It's an important subject he addresses, the curvature of the earth. Thankfully, Rory's distracted by his son and will not rant about me talking about the curvature of the earth. You may well remember that I talked about the fact that on a map, it looks like you're going up and down when, in fact, you're going in a straight line when you're flying west to east. Yeah, east to you
3: west. weren't here for that either, Chinch. You should really try and stay in wish I. You know, right I there. wish I was. I'll have to Literally, listen back an, and really catch up. An it hour sounds fascinating.
0: Uh, hello all, says Stephen. While Hugh is correct about the curvature of the Earth, with the equator being its most bulbous point. Describing a transatlantic flight as going up and down rather than straight which I deliberately just did again is also not quite correct. They're still going straight, it's just that they're going over the top in a straight line rather than east to west in a straight line. The problem is that we tend to visualise the earth in two dimensions rather than as a globe. So let's clear that up then, I think you'll all agree. He's also sent us a map which will help. You've all seen the map. Did it blow your mind? When did this podcast stop being about football? (laughs) Have I missed something? About 18
3: months ago. (laughs)
0: What um, on earth is going on? Stephen also chimed, we'll put that map, by the way, on uh, the Twitter feed, just so you know what is talking about. There was a, a map that was created to try and signify a straight line from one place to another by illustrating on a 2D map how the world curves around. How did you get onto this subject? Uh, we were talking about flights from uh, Qatar to Buenos Aires. Oh, Okay. That's, but that's not to recap on everything. James. Oh
2: no, no, no. Just to, to know how you got onto this topic.
0: This and the the third of the triplicate uh chinch will really again annoy you. Stephen also chimed in on the bolognese pie idea. Uh, after Stephen Roy turned the noses up at the traditional non savoury mince pies they were offered last week. He once had a pie party when someone made a lasagna pie. Oh, 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 oh that works. Oh, oh. which is exactly as it sounds. With pastry. Lasagna in pastry.
2: No. Absolutely
0: not. We also asked last week if there are some examples of sports people who share names with footballers. It started on Twitter. It's continuing on email, including this one. Can I suggest ex-Arsenal Etc striker Ian Wright. He doesn't put in brackets Rory's best mate. He probably should have done so. And former Leinster middle Q judo champion me. If being the provincial champion of a niche sport in which Ireland does not have a great history of international success sounds unimpressive, then allow me to keep digging and reveal that middle Q means that it was a competition sorted by grade rather than weight. And while the median mass of judo competitors in Ireland at the time tended towards men in the 60 to 70 kilogram range, I had previously waiting for competitions at 135 kilograms. So on my way to victory that day, there was a good chance that I had been literally fighting people who were half the man I was. So that's from Ian Wright, who is a judo champion. From Ireland, and also Paul Reeve, uh, who always gets in touch with the rugby league theme. Hi, Steve. Et al. Brian McDermott was coach of Leeds Rhinos from 2011 until early this year, during which time Brian McDermott was manager of Leeds United, which many people remember at the time as being yes, yes, that is yeah. a good one, quite yeah. unbelievable. Our last two episodes on tribalism versus truth um, have, I think, prompted um, the most correspondence of any subject. Uh, so we're going to filter them in as much as possible over the next few weeks. Um, so that I can just stop people from eating. We're very glad that people have found it worth debating, so we'll use your emails to keep it going, I think. Just a couple for now. This from our friend Ed Prilucky. Or, if you're being more Polish about it, Przlucki. Greeting, amongst others. I was thrilled to hear your latest pod address the way in which the offside rule is cooled, especially Rory's suggestion on how to fix it. If even a small part of you is onside, you are onside. As massive hockey fans says Ed, I'm sure you're aware of the offside standards in that sport. For those listeners who aren't, Steve amongst them, obviously, a quick study. There is a there is a blue line which is called the blue line.
3: I'm familiar with this. If any
0: part of an attacking player is behind or on the line as the puck is played to the attacking zone, the player is onside. This will often lead to comical scenes of players stretching their legs and groins to the breaking point to remain onside. But it encourages attacking play and players entering their offensive zone as quickly as possible. I'm certainly not here to suggest new lines be drawn on the football pitch, but I think ice hockey's understanding and Rory's suggested interpretation of who is and isn't on side would pay dividends in football and lead to far less consternation amongst fans. Warmest regards, Edward, an aspiring Buffalo in Buffalo, New York. P.S. Potential stops along the road to Buffalo status would include, if travelling from the hometown of Rory's current employer, Albany, Utica, Syracuse, Rochester and East Aurora. So, Ed, you are... Hurtling past Utica, congratulations! So, Roy, do you feel like I think uh, it's Utica? Is it Utica? Utica. So you have been, uh, you have received support from the other side of the Atlantic. I am.
1: I noticed on Twitter actually a couple of people, uh, including Mark Thompson, who tweets as Every Team Mark. I think he's a he's a very interesting uh, analytics follow. Um, for those of you who are Twitter minded he agreed with me on the fact that I am correct about the offside rule which has been lost its whole meaning has been lost and I stand by that view and will until the day I die
0: well I think a lot of people agree Do you so, if you so if your knee if your knee is onside any the rest of, of your onside. body about
2: it's, it can't be a little finger because you can't score with your name finger. any no I think any no, body
1: part it's
0: not, not about the scoring part yeah, That's your, hand, your
2: hand is onside you're onside yeah but you can't it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Any no. part of your body is onside, then you're onside. I, I like that's, that. That's how I would. I that's like how that. I interpret that's it. That's
0: interesting. Uh, so you're, you're basically hanging. Yeah, back, I know. I know. I'm back. not an
2: idiot. <laughs> you don't have to do, stick your arm out and show me. This I understand. Is, Stop this talking. This is
0: not just for you, Chinch. But oh. you'd
3: end up. You'd end up with attackers <laughs> holding defenders' shirts rather than vice versa, just Brilliant. to demonstrate that they're still onside. Look, I can't be
0: offside. I'm holding onto his shirt. Shirt pulling should still not be allowed, so that's okay. And rehand ball, bearing in mind that IFAB met just after we recorded our latest pod. Steve, will Not no unrelated. Doubt be dismayed <laughs> to hear that they decided this, Steve. Steve wants a very simple way of getting rid of handball, which is or, or to clear up the handball rule, which is Steve
3: I forgot what I said now. If
0: you can do anything <laughs> if you can do anything to prevent yes. the hand being in that position, then it is um handball and agreements says IFAB was reached on the necessity for a more precise and detailed wording for the different types of handball offences the most significant clarifications relate to non-deliberate handball situations where there's an unfair outcome slash benefit due to the ball making contact with the player's hand slash arm are you pleased with the fact that you've you've allowed I'm, IFAB to get great? I am. I'm glad walls. that my
3: influence with IFAB is so insignificant. They've basically done the exact opposite to what I suggested. So <laughs> brilliant! Yeah. You're a maverick, Steve. This yeah, is well, the price yeah, you pay. I'm,
0: yeah. I'm glad they're paying attention. And Colin Boucher, who I think might be somewhere near Rochester on that road to Buffalo, because he's getting in touch again. Um, he wondered if the tribalism versus the truth argument started getting really heated during the Fergie versus Wenger era. Fergie protecting his players, Wenger saying he never saw anything. Just as an example of how it entered the mainstream,
1: I think the vendor not seeing stuff thing is probably quite significant. It's a relatively harmless example, but it it became. There were times when and I don't say this with great admiration for Arsene Vendor, There were times when he was blatantly lying about it mm. as a way of avoiding confronting the issue, and it became his way of deflecting from the fact that his complaints were clearly unjustified. Um, and I, I wonder if that was maybe part part of the gateway drug to it. I think that's that, that's probably the case. But I'm really, but at the same time. This stuff's been going on forever. I'm sure Clough and Reevey did exactly the same stuff, and Chantley and Paisley and Matt Busby, and all, all of these managers would have done exactly the same stuff. They'll, they just had it, they had less kind of places in which to do it. That's all.
0: And, and Colin says these managers all enhance tribalism, in my opinion, creating an opinion amongst the fans that their team was almost always the wronged team. And I think we've mentioned that in uh, relation to a lot of managers, particularly uh, over the years. Now, tribalism versus truth emails are very welcome, so we would like to keep them coming. Um, over the weeks. Thank you very much indeed. Finally, before we move on to our subject today, Stuart Cooper says this Hi, Steve, and others. Given the New York Times rebranded SPM as Rory Smith's podcast, and how Hugh accidentally reversed the favour by branding the leading paper of record on the planet as the Rory Times. I wonder where Rory's stratospheric rise ends. Will we soon have Sky's Rory Sunday, BBC's Match of the Smith? Could we soon be talking about Rory Hinchsmith's Seven England Caps? Wow. At the same time, Rory did mention the Totally Football Show as a rival, which he has also begun absorbing into his sphere of influence with recent guest appearances. How long before the two pods merge into the Totally Rory Smith menu? It's the worrying
2: thing is how every time your name is mentioned, your, your eyes just light up. I'm, World domination. I am
1: a colossal edictist, since you <laughs> yes, should know that. Yes. Uh, 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 I don't know what to say. Yes, okay. I mean, I, I think, well, I think it's, fairly o- agree, it's fairly obvious to everybody that I have already tapped out my limited abilities. <laughs> uh, and now it's just a matter of a, a slow, steady decline and me eventually being found out as a fraud.
0: <laughs> well, we'll uh, hopefully get there before maybe year three of Set Piece Menu. Uh, do get in touch, setpeacemenu at gmail.com, at setpiecemenu on Facebook.com. Such set Piece Menu. Our subject today is suggested by Sam Crocker who I think has emailed the pod more than anyone else during our two years and therefore with this becomes a buffalo. If he hasn't already become a buffalo, I can't remember. We need a system. Uh, Dear Steve, says Sam, he starts, your podcast has been like finding a vial of football heroin under the sofa after you thought you'd run out. So thanks for topping me up.
1: (laughs) That is a dark,
0: dark (laughs) That's kind of good and bad, isn't it? A little bit concerned by his uh, recreational activities. And then he asks the question that we will ask today. Is football important I am a nihilistic football fan, says Sam. I often struggle to work out what its role is and whether it can be really deemed important. I've come to terms with the fact that football is just a nice distraction, and that we all need to cope with day-to-day life, just as people like to watch Love Island. But is it more important than that? Does it represent something more, or is its importance normally overplayed by the big football machine, all in capital letters? I'd love to hear your collective thoughts one day on this, maybe when you're feeling a bit down and you've got some Leonard Cohen playing in the background. Tar from... uh, Sam, now this has been our collective back pockets for a while, ready for a suitable moment, and then it came. It was the Copa Libertadores final, second leg that never was. Uh, so that'll be our jumping off point. Uh, we'll see where it takes us, though. Um, this, of course, is a panel that includes a man who used to think of his Chinese takeaway choice during the final stages of actually representing his professional uh, football <coughs> club in the Premier League. Um, <laughs> is football important? Does it really Matter, and if the answer to both those questions is yes, then would, should we be asking why, Rory? Hello. Let's start with you. We don't
1: have to, does that get restless?
0: Yes, fans of Boca Juniors and River Plate would probably answer those questions with yes. Well, C, si, probably in capital letters. Although I don't want to get accused of essentialism, so let's go beneath the surface on that. And don't not just don't. Say not say one word in Spanish and let's think that not we've do that. kind of encapsulated the argument perfectly. Uh, <laughs> Rory, your copper experience was not only about a cancelled match. Uh, your Copper experience was also from a European football journalist's point of view mm-hmm. on something that a European football journalist doesn't necessarily always have to write about. Mm-hmm. And you learned so much about the um, well, you, you knew about it before, but you were able to bring to us so much about the Argentinian football fan supporting experience. So, what was your kind of hot take and takeaway from uh, from that experience of seeing those fans and that 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 match that never happened?
2: Well, so what
1: struck me and what strikes me whenever i think about argentinian football and i don't want i don't want to be a centralist as that would be awful but knowing a little bit about argentinian football and having read around read the thoughts of people who are much much cleverer than me about it the thing that i think strikes through all of it and whether that's the you know 60,000 going to the Boca training session before the Libertadores final, whether it's it's the kind of endless chaos around the national team, whether it's the the fact that you speak to people who work in youth development, develop, speak to people who work in youth development there, and they sort of tell you we don't do anything right. It's not the case that Argentina has a great there's no Argentine system for producing players. We we produce players despite everything that we do wrong. If you look at the number of managers who. Uh, Get sacked. If you look at the ultras who occasionally go into clubs and have face-to-face talks and in inverted commas with the players because their performances aren't good enough. If you look at Salvemos al Football, which is a, an organisation that counts up the number of football-related deaths in Argentina um, since 1922, and it currently stands at 328, which I would suggest is 328 too many. Uh, there is this suggest- there is this feeling throughout Argentina that I have have long kind of thought. That football kind of matters too much. And to to get ahead of this, after a Twitter conversation and a subsequent, faintly defamatory appearance on a podcast, um, I went to Argentina for five days, wouldn't claim to be an expert, but spoke to a lot of people at a lot of different levels, at a lot of different clubs. Uh, I have some background knowledge of the subject. I do speak Spanish, I conducted the interviews in Spanish. Um, and it's not me saying that, that, that Argentinians are like that, or that Latin Americans are prone to this. It just so happens that if you look at the variety of circumstances, the specific circumstances around Argentinian football, as Ed's stacking goes horribly wrong, Um that's, that is kind of where we've come to, and it's it's something that Argentinians speak about a lot, is the sense that the the, ma- the machista culture around Argentinian football is is unhealthy. And as I say, I'm not saying. That's because they're Argentinian. Just saying that it happens to have developed that way in Argentina. It could happen that way in any country. I think there's been times where it's certainly been true in Italy. I think there's been tr- times where it's been true in England that that football has taken on an, an over an overstretched significance. And I think what the copper final was an example of that in the sense that it mattered so much to the fans that specific game that kind of. That a few, a handful of people lost control. Not everybody, I was in the stadium for four or five hours on the Saturday afternoon as they were busy cancelling it, and 70,000 people pretty much maintained their cool. Some people were throwing stuff at the botter players as they were going to hospital. So it wasn't everybody, it wasn't an entirely peaceful occasion. As the people left the stadium, there, were lo- there was lots of fighting with the police. But the, but again, not everybody fighting with the police. But most people retained their cool. But to a section of, of Rivers fans, it became too much. The significance was so great; they were talking about the, the end of the world, the final, final, finals. It, it, they, everyone lost sight. Everyone in Argentina, everyone around the world, is this
2: more than football? You talk- lost
1: the sight of yeah. the fact that it was just a game of football. Yeah. I think, and that happened. We all do that across the world. There are times with sporting events where we where we build them up too much, media and fans, and we pretend they mean more than they are. That they are just a game, and it just so happened that that happened on this occasion in Argentina. Again, not saying Argentinians are like this. Or that it's just Argentina. That's not true at all. I think Argentina is an extreme example currently. It could change, of something that could happen anywhere. That that we begin to assume that football matters more than it actually does. And I think we're all quite susceptible to it at the moment. That's kind of what what, what struck me. If you think about kind of the pitch of the conversation that we have around football in the Premier League, where everything's a disaster or a crisis or a triumph or a humiliation or. You get kind of managers celebrating on the pitch and we're told that it's disgraceful. That's a strong word disgraceful it's a bit embarrassing bit classless fine disgraceful I'm not entirely sure that's disgraceful um
0: yeah ill th- ill judged does not mean disgraceful, disgraceful but yeah. th- these
1: these have kind of become synonyms in football, and I think that all of that contributes to to an environment where people i guess are conditioned a little bit to to thinking it matters more than it does. Social media doesn't help the 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 timber of media coverage doesn't help. Um, the way managers talk, the way fans react, it all is, creates. Is that important to feel
2: from the outside, say the media, but in in Argentina, is it from within the fan bases, the, the how they see the game, the importance of that game it's, comes from within rather than without. I think
1: there's a lot of different kind of fat, factors that you'd need you'd need to be cleverer than me to talk about properly. But I think if you think about a, con- a country with a, with a struggling economy, people look for anything to to latch onto in terms of their identity. It's an immigrant nation as well, so you need kind of something to to form the. Uh, Edward thinks that the cat is a dog. Uh, Hector is his word for dogs.
0: I, I, c- can I say that that probably comes down to the uh, to the parenting? Yes. I mean, the education skills that you've been able to transfer onto your child are clearly limited. He
1: also thinks cows are dogs. <laughs> the boy's an idiot.
0: He is going to struggle in India.
1: Uh, he really is. No, I think it, there's lots of different factors that have led to this in Argentina that have led to this point. And it's, thin- it's things like the immigrant nation, the fact that you have a need to kind of impose to find something to, to center your ident- your your identity yeah. around yeah, yeah. um so and the
2: football's kind of the vehicle for yeah, all well this they're, they're all the actual reason. Yeah it's it's, it's
1: it's it's a reflection as with ever with with everything. Football reflects society. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily kind of it doesn't exist on its own, kind of isolated. Um I think you've got other stuff as well. Like in in terms even minor football and things so in the sixties and seventies when you got that really brutal strain of Argentinian football. I think that convinced that con- or contributed to an environment where People were, were told you have to do everything to win, and that—that that is, to be honest, and again, not being a centralist, that is relatively unique, uniquely Argentinian. That, that at that time, Argentinian football was more winning orientated, probably than anywhere else in the world. That there was that they they took it to places that others didn't go to, even the Italians. And that's not to say that other people weren't cheating or weren't pushing the rule book, but the Argentinians really made an art of it. And I think that that has. Along with stuff about you know the the Barabravas, the Hooligan gangs, and and what have you, the ultras, the fact that the clubs are still so members' clubs rather than businesses, which is a good thing in, in, in a lot of ways, but isn't necessarily a good thing in every way. A friend, of, an Argentinian friend of mine, said that part of the problem is that because everybody leaves, all the players leave, all the managers leave, not there's no permanence, that the fans effectively are supporting themselves. So when you're talking about I'm a Boca fan or I'm a River fan or I'm a San Lorenzo fan, what you mean isn't I'm a fan of a team, you mean I'm a fan of th- of the the ultra groups and the the fans who are there every week.
2: So are, there, are the politics involved in this as well? Would you say in Argentina? Yeah, with, yeah, and crime.
1: And crime. Well, the Barra brothers, the yeah, the ultra groups are basically now organised crime gangs in a lot of cases. They're selling tickets. They're selling. They're using the stadiums to sell drugs. They're involved as as sort of henchmen for, for politicians or for club officials. Yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot more going on that I'm not qualified enough to talk about, but. The, the, to me, Argentina now, and again, not because it's Argentina, just because it's developed this way, has become a place where winning matters slightly too much. And they a lot of people, a lot a lot of clubs talked about a need to try and change that environment, to try and find a slightly less matchista way of of existing around football. And I think football is always has always been the kind of the, the most important of the least important things. But at times I wonder whether we are all across the world because it's become such a a big thing for the media, for TV networks, for for there's so much money involved, whether we are all slightly guilty now of of giving it an importance that it's not due.
0: I'll let I'll let you spend some time with Ed because um, Ed, Ed basically agreed with all of his father's points there with um, contributory noises. Um, Chinch, hearing that from Rory from and Rory was basically accused and i 'm going to paraphrase appallingly here Rory, so I p- apologize for this essentially was accused of making a point about Argentinian football I think this is right and and making it sound like it was it was only their problem and their problem that they cannot fix mm. um, so particularly it was a cultural point made yeah. about Argentinian football the, the particular person who got angry about that said that you shouldn 't be making a one single point about the whole culture of Argentinian football, and there's so much more uh, to consider, not making it sound like that one point was the only point to make. So I made a very flippant point about you uh, ordering your Chinese takeaway when Mm -hmm. you were playing, Mm -hmm. but I am also guilty of essentialism because just because of that one point, it doesn't mean that that's the only point to be made about your career. So if you're playing in this kind of environment where fans care so much is it ever represented in the dressing room? Can it ever match what you see on the terraces in the seats? Because you, you do care but do you ever give yourself an opportunity to care as much but because a, it can be debilitating You have to sometimes? remember whose,
2: <clears throat> whose opinion you're kind of canvassing here because if you're talking to fans or professionals it's a job. Now when you play big derby games I, I, I felt quite emotionless when I played games. Now that's not because I was <clears throat> I was a professional. I tried to say, well, there is this game, but there's always going to be next week and the week after and years and years to come. So you're trying to plan rather than just for one game for a a longer term future, not just for yourself, but for the club as well. So I probably approached it very differently. But when I played in derby games, Manchester derbies, Merseyside derbies, even I felt the emotion of the occasion, which probably for players, that would be probably true for most players playing in derby games, but that's different for players than for fans. Do fans feel the emotion of a derby game every game and these the that, that's what we're asking, the, the importance of the game, surely it has to be more important what they think about the game rather than the people that are actually playing the game because we're bound to, or I would feel a professional footballer is bound to feel differently about a job in essence that they're doing than people that are paying money to come and watch us do our jobs, surely it has to be different
3: so how we, how the players feel about the game has to be hugely different than the fans watching it. So there was that thing as a player that when you were lining up against you, your fierce Neighbours or, you know, a, a bit, you know, thinking of like a Manchester United-Liverpool game or a mm. Manchester United-Arsenal game, that that did mean a little bit more. In those oh, yeah. Players couldn't keep their emotions in check. Is, and is that why we occasionally see those rash moments yes. in derbies that you wouldn't yeah. necessarily get in more run-of-the-mill games?
2: Yeah, I, I, I had that myself. I experienced that myself. But even seeing relatively placid players, the way that they did react to those special circumstances you see that it was across the board. I, I, can't, I couldn't see anybody going into a Merseyside or Manchester derby not feeling their heart rate greater than if you're walking out against Bournemouth or Coventry or anybody else because naturally it just got to you. you. You understood probably more in that game what it was like to be a fan because most players have been playing from such a young age. I certainly was, so I never experienced what the emotions of a fan are because I wasn't one. But in games like that, on days like that, it was you felt completely different, and you felt at one with your supporters as close as you can ever get to your supporters is on a day like that
3: because you're all, whether you're on the pitch or, or not, pulling for the same thing. But but you're from South Manchester. You're not from Liverpool. No. So where did that come from? What was the what were the was the environment, the circumstances around a Merseyside derby? It was strange, that, yeah. That, I, that gave that to you. Did, was it just a, an atmosphere in the city or in the ground ahead of it? Well game I used, I used like to say, with,
2: with being from Manchester, you would think, well, Manchester derbies would mean more to me. I only played in, in two Manchester derbies, played a lot more Merseyside ones. But strangely, I felt more as if I had more to prove because I didn't want to be the one letting down Everton and being from Manchester. I think the problem would be that they would look at me and say, "Well, yeah, you didn't feel it like all the maybe the um, the Evertonians, whatever we had the the um, the lads from from Merseyside playing in that in that game because you're not fully connected to it." I felt more connected to it, strangely, because I was a little bit older. I was very young when I played in the Manchester derby, so you have that emotion as a youngster. When you're a little bit older, again you've been through a few more years, your careers developed a little bit, you've got a little bit wiser. But I actually felt that's why I'm I'm mainly talking about Merseyside derbies that I played in. I felt the emotion more personally than I did. In Manchester derbies.
0: So are you, as a because player... Because I understood
2: what it would mean if we didn't, weren't successful, in there's times when we were, and the times were, that we weren't. And coming into into work on a Monday morning, the feeling of elation or desolation from winning or losing a Merseyside derby, it was that lasted a lot longer than, than losing any other game. Because, again, that connection with the fans.
0: Yeah, so you're a product of your environment. Yeah. So if the fans care more, you... You can feel that. You can feel it, can yeah. It comes it. off them in waves. So yeah, some of the, some of the uh, stories about the, the River and Bocker mm. um, players, about them really kind of feeling the emotion of the occasion. It's yeah. not just because they care more themselves in a vacuum. It's mm. because the fans make it a, a context and an environment in, in which it's very difficult to not care yeah. more. So given that, they are also, uh, the River and Bocker players, they are also often in that situation aware of the fact that their own safety
3: is yeah. an issue.
0: Yeah. Had you ever had an an occasion where you felt from either the fans in the stands or on on your way into the ground?
2: No, no, nothing like that at all. It was all not well-natured. I don't mean that at all. But the crackling atmosphere you would feel, not the hatred, but just how meaningful this game was. I loved it. I wish every game could have been like that. But clearly they weren't for different reasons. You know, night games especially, I think, made them more atmospheric as well. And it was It's almost like anything. You walk into um, an auditorium full of people, you can sense... The feeling in the room, can't it, comes off people in way, and that's that's what it's hard to explain the feel. But fans must feel it as well. Together, watching their team in a Merseyside derby or a conventional league game, you would, I, I, I would presume, your passion would be that much more heightened. So it must be different for fans as it's different for players
0: was there ever a player who you felt because the, the the example of the, the Brazil semi-final in the, in the 2014 World Cup is often given about caring too much yeah. where they're so emotionally invested that they are almost like a fan uh, because a fan will often tell you on Derby Day in particular uh, they wake up incredibly nervous yeah. scared in fact that yeah. that day will not go their way and as a result they don't enjoy it and the, again the stories that we hear from those more than one random person that rory smith spoke to uh, where there is a sense that i cannot bear to think about river or bocca losing this game and to that extent you get you generate this feeling amongst some fans that i'd rather trash the bus en route because there might be a way that that stops the game from happening or so I don't get to feel defeat now yeah. that that is probably a very very I don't,
1: I don't think that was the that was the motivation I think it was more that they got that to some people it became that there is such hatred in seeing just the badge of Botter Juniors on that bus that they mm. they almost didn't so have So it's a, an
0: instinctive reaction rather than a, yeah. I, I am planning this
1: But, but again that, that hatred is conditioned into them it's something they're taught rather than that's intrinsic to them
0: And there was some other
3: I mean I got this from obviously reading Rory and, and Miguel and Jonathan Wilson's stuff whilst they were in Buenos Aires All of
0: whom wrote excellent pieces beautifully, We should say and were, Very well well, well,
3: <laughs> well qualified to write those pieces <laughs> and express their opinion They brought the add.
0: expertise that they had already garnered to a story about which they were completely qualified to report.
3: <laughs> but there was another interesting factor about that was, of course, and we discussed this before Rory went, about how it was the final two-legged Copa de Libertadores final. So not only did you have that situation in which it didn't matter where you were in the world necessarily, but you had two fierce city rivals meeting in a game where almost the idea of losing it was so much to bear that you couldn't consider the, the triumphant emotions you'd get from winning it. Yeah. But the, also there would be never it was a one off, it was a unique occasion, there would never be that opportunity to write so the that wrong makes, that makes if, your, if your if yeah. your team lost. And I suppose there would be there would be similar emotions in any of those, you know, fierce inter city rivalries that you get all over the world if the, the occasion that it all built up to was so unique that the passions, which can be so healthy mm. in terms of supporting your football team, just spill, spill over, over yeah. because right. it, so everything it was just an unbearable the, weight. The
0: original point was back to Brazil 2014 and where it actually manifests itself in the players' emotions to the extent that they cannot concentrate on doing their job. It appears. Well, that's why you have to play with your heart on Your head because
2: the fans expect you to play with your heart to go flying into challenges. You, know, you cannot shirk a challenge on Derby Day, but you still have a game plan that the managers put in place for the week. So, it's it, in essence for the coaches, it's just another game. And you see players in the first five minutes of Derby just going scything through people, getting sent off, and they don't know why. Again, they've just got the emotions, have got the better of them. And I presume for fans, at least on the pitch, you can actually do something physically, you can do something to affect the outcome. As a fan, of course, you can cheer and everything else, but still. In a way, you're powerless. You're just desperately hoping that your team wins the game for you. And but with the with, with the copper final, it is that's it. That's it. So it's even worse. This is this is. I, I think for players and fans, it must it must be a horrendous situation to be in because at least you know with cup competitions, you've got another game, you've got another season, you can maybe put this right. With that yeah. game, once it's done, it's done. I cannot imagine. But be fearing for your safety as a player. I cannot imagine what it must be like going out onto a football pitch. And worrying that something physically from the stands might affect a player on the pitch is one thing. You can get out of the way. You can do a lot on the pitch to to, to look after yourself. But worrying about what fans might do before a game, during a game, and after, it's
0: just it's just horrendous. And you can understand that the. the The position that Boca took Hmm. afterwards, that that our players are simply not prepared and capable of playing this game. Some, obviously, including the captain, had to go to hospital because they had glass in their eye. Um, There are others as well who, um, because of the tear gas that was fired to try and disperse the fans, it went through the the breakages in the windows and and they, they were... Vomiting and they were coughing and they clearly had issues as well with their eyes. So you can understand in that situation that they that they wouldn't be oh, ready to play. It just play. seems you, the worst you don't set of think circumstances. Finding an excuse Not at to, all. No, I just that. think it's
2: the worst set of circumstances you can. I don't see Rory. How, how ever would they have got this game played? Would they have ever been able to get this game played? Because would it just keep
0: happening? Because the circumstances are still the same, aren't they? <laughs> it depends. It depends how much Gianni Infantino was on the phone to the ball <laughs> I think they,
1: I think they could have done. I think they could have played it in Argentina. They, they had this weird. Um, Deadline with the G20 happening, I think on the Thursday after the game, which meant obviously that's a huge drain on the Argentine security forces. But what would change
2: in terms of the fans' well, the, view so of the, the game? So what, the
1: basic what the basic issue was that was not so much the direction. Uh, and it's important I think to get the facts right when you're broadcasting about this. I think it's important No, you very, very if true. make if you're gonna make assertions yeah. about other people how qualified people are to talk about it, I think you should get your basic facts but right.
0: Just check that about like for for example, for example which parts of the Buenos Aires those, those two rather than avi
1: Avianeda where the river and bottle are from or, or what happened three years ago when, when Bokka fans didn't attack the river bus. They threw Teodas into the tunnel at the Bombernera. I think it's important to get these basic things right. The issue Certainly w-
0: if you're lashing out. If
1: you're lashing out, if you're criticising others, it's important. The, the issue wasn't necessarily, and there's a bit, there was a bit of confusion about it on the ground, wasn't necessarily the route that they took, the, the Bokka bus. It was that normally the police phone ahead to their colleagues on that corner, where the attack happens, obviously the bus has to slow down for the corner, and they say, right, we're coming through, we're at this point, you know, two minutes away, move everybody back 50 metres. That call never happened, which meant when the bus took the corner, there was a great big crowd of river fans within stone-throwing distance, effectively. So, in Buenos Aires, they were talking about this is a failure of communication between the police and the Ministry of Justice, there's suggestions that it's to do with a power, str- an internal kind of political power struggle within Argentine policing circles I guess like intentional uh, or well or or, or there's conspiracy theories uh, there's conspiracy theories I suspect there was clearly a breakdown of communication somewhere along the line but there's there's conspiracy theories that it was done on purpose to humiliate one side or the other Um, so I think they could have played it with proper policing I think that's definitely true Um, as I say the, the vast majority of people there were hugely were entirely peaceful as they are at every sporting event in the world and it's important to remember that when hooliganism was a problem in England it's interesting actually in light of the discussion I had with an academic on Twitter which made me quite aggravated but also made me question a lot of the things i'd assumed it's interesting that when we talk about hooliganism we we very rarely say now oh but it was only a minority when you talk about hooliganism in the 70s and 80s no one ever yeah, says yeah, yeah. no one ever feels yeah. the need to qualify yeah. but it was only a minority yeah. it's you know we talk about it as though it was a huge stain on the game mm-hmm. and it was everyone at it we never say well actually it was i mean proportionally it would have been i mean less than 1% of yeah, people who were yeah. ever involved in fighting or who went to football to fight mm-hmm. But we never ever feel the need to qualify that. Whereas, whenever we talk about other countries, we tend to feel the need to qualify it. So it's not—we're not saying it's everybody. And you sort of think, well, of course we're not saying it's everybody. You'd have to be an idiot to think it was everybody. But we, for some reason, it's interesting. We don't allow ourselves that that same um, that that same sort of assumption that well, obviously it wasn't every not everybody in Britain in the 1970s was a hooligan. There were just qu- there were quite a lot of hooligans, but it was a tiny proportion of people. But the the thing I think football definitely is considered important and all the stuff we've talked about, whether it's players or fans, media, football, is important in the way that it manifests. But I think what's interesting is why. Not just why it's important, but why it seems to be increasing in importance. Why why do we seem to be giving it more and more significance now? When you say
2: we giving it more significance. We we
1: the world, so chinch. The right. the, the people. Uh, the planet, the will of the people mm-hmm. is to give it more importance. Okay. Um no it just it, it so there's a there's an economic reason. So there's more money involved. So it's more important to broadcasters and to advertisers. So it makes it. It's in their interest to build up how important it is. It's in the interest of the governing bodies and the people who run the leads and all that to build up how important it seems to be because that means they can sell their rights for more. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Um, it's in the interest of the print media, the online media, to say that it's important. Does it? It gets you clicks. It gets you subscribers. It it makes us all money. It keeps us all in work. We are we are all basically parasites on the body football
0: the big football machine as sam called it in the original email we
1: we are part of it and we benefit from it so it's in our interest to to make it out like it's really important um but the question so the i think it's important as a way to see society football that's the thing that i genuinely believe, believe it's an important way of looking at the world um but why it seems to matter so much to so many now and i would say in a way that it didn't when you were playing partly because you were playing yeah yeah. Uh, (laughs) it's understandable if you you watched any
2: team that's true if you watched any team that i played for you'd think this isn't a very important game at all (laughs) if
1: if this fella's doing it it clearly doesn't matter but i think it's because and it's interesting that it applies across the world so you can be a an arsenal fan in china and you can be as exercised by a a defeat to crystal palace as someone who's been an arsenal fan you know Five generations back, whose family live around the corner from Highbury, whatever. It, it doesn't matter if you're geographically dislocated. It doesn't matter if you're if you're a new arrival or, or if you're. It goes back decades. It see, it matters so much to everyone, and I think that's that's in, in, that's the really important, the really interesting aspect of it is why it's so important to people. You can debate whether whether any of this stuff, any entertainment form of entertainment, is important. Is music important? probably in a in a in a real sense no to be honest it's not important that that your band your your favorite band produced this album or that you know michael jackson wrote bad the greatest album of all time mm. it that it isn't important none of this stuff is important but it brings people pleasure so it it has a it has a huge role to play when you said the, the best album of all time do you mean the last album you bought first album I bought, <laughs> bad. Not the last. The last album I bought was by Daniel O'Donnell. It wasn't. That's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, the,
3: last, the last album you will, be, will, will, buy, buy, you is will buy is, buy is buy by Daniel O'Donnell. Now that really matters. Just, he really he, does He, matter. he is relevant. But none of the... I mean,
1: bringing people pleasure is important, so in that sense, football matters. But it's just what really interests me is... And I'll take my son off you now, Hugh. There's,
0: no, there's absolutely no need to. We're having gone, a great time.
1: Good. He, um, he's a menace he really is uh and is why also, it, so is your son it's um <laughs> is why it's starting to seems to be and maybe i'm wrong it seems to matter more it seems to be given a greater importance than it was 20 30 40 50 years
3: ago but that's because it's being perpetuated by rolling news isn't it that even more coverage there's there's more and varied different ways for you to absorb your fandom and for which, you know, you can be criticised for the team you support, for which you can see your rivals, you know, indulging in their glory at your expense. I suppose the the more the, the further reaching that environment becomes, the more it's going to matter. I think it's great that people have got an outlet for their passion and I sometimes wonder if they didn't have football as that outlet, why how might it manifest itself in another way? Mm. And that could be a more dangerous way for it to manifest itself. But it does seem there seems to be that there's a tipping point about how important football is in your life before it can start getting a bit exactly yeah. scary yeah a little bit ridiculous and maybe those I suppose a bit like any sort of drug your ability to control how much you need to expose yourself to it is is the critical point.
2: So you're Steve, a fan. You're a damn fine broadcaster as oh, well. How how important with kind of straddling that fence? How important is football? in your life?
3: Well, my, I was, because my brother's, this is quite good, good. I think by doing what we do, you learn better where the balance is. Yeah. And that's not to be, you know, highfalutin mm-hmm. about it. Because my, you know, my brother's also, I've got three younger brothers. They all grew up supporting the same club as me, but two of them in particular were much more emotionally involved in that than maybe me and my other brother was. We both moved away to to go and study to go to university, so perhaps we became geographically a bit more detached from it. But yeah, they've, they've remained, you know, it, it, especially one of my brothers in particular, it, you really used to sort of dictate his weekend. So the if football. they lost, was he was he? Oh, yeah, seriously? He, yeah, 24, 48 hours, he, you know, wow. he could be a bit of a grumpy so mm. uh, and so. That,
0: that, that is reflected everywhere. I mean, that, that is, that you would say, is a fairly consistent base level of how a lot of people react of a weekend yeah
3: so i think your ability to you know whether you're the sort of person who can walk away from the match and go (laughs) grumble a bit have a pint you know wash away your sorrows and and get on with it that's probably quite a healthy place to be able to get yourself to Mm. but i can equally understand why for some you know it's still the emotions are still raw if your team (laughs) has lost you know, when you go to work on on a Monday morning, and you might have to face up to it again yeah. with colleagues or friends. So, and and that's the thing that sort of gnaws away at you a and, little bit.
0: And sometimes you have to to mitigate that. You have to become somebody that you're not particularly, but you it, it just it just helps you. So, if you get the, the Monday morning thing, if you kind of invest yourself in the disappointment, or as so many fans do, find a scapegoat. Yeah, you are able to not feel the the pure emotion of it. You can translate it or deflect that emotion into something else. So you've got two different emotions and so it it feels much, much better. I get frustrated with a lot of fans who, who tend to scapegoat because... It's not an accurate representation of the match that they watched, but it, it is a way, and I keep on banging on about it on this podcast. That is way of deflecting and mitigating the hurt because yeah. it, it is yeah. hard yeah. to if you get dumped when you're a teenager and you got dumped by a girl, which of course never happened to me because um, I was you didn't very start dating d- yes, in mid twenties. D- yes, I didn't actually have any girlfriends. But the, the, the <laughs> point is is that you get you get dumped and you you then just start to lash out, don't you? You yeah. blame her for everything, and I'm I'm sure it's the same for for girls. They blame the guy after the guy mm-hmm. because you just don't want to feel the hurt because it hurts. Mm-hmm. You you don't want that and so for a lot of people if football is that important you are setting yourself up for facing a lot of hurt and that hurt will be magnified by the importance that you give the game in your life and so can you halfway through your life, I mean we've been lucky because we've got into the industry so it, it does help us because it allows us to have some sort of kind of emotional distance from it but can you if you don't have that fortune that we have to be able to provide a different context to the game can you, halfway through your life, go, all oh, right, that's it. No, I'm taking a step back. Probably not. But I just really think if you go back to 10, 20, 30
2: years, what we're saying is today, it's not that we, we're led to believe the game should be more important in your lives. It still is important or has been ramped up in people's yeah. lives. So it's actually coming from, from the people. It's not, as I keep going about, about from the outside, it's not been generated from the outside. <laughs> you should feel that this is more important. You should take this more seriously. Of all the things that are going on in your life, football... Are you talking
0: to Ed now? I'm talking to, I'm talking to everybody. I'm Chinch. talking to the world.
2: He's not. He's <laughs> not laughing at me. Two updates from yes. over there.
1: Yeah. One... Your cat is terrified of my son.
0: Oh, is that right? Yep. Yeah.
1: And Can't two, think I why. think he's probably deleted all of your Sky+. Plus. Uh, <laughs> the, the, um, we've got 40 episodes of The Clangers recorded on our TV. <laughs> yeah. It's astonishing. He's 14 months old. He can record The Clangers. Loves The Clangers.
0: <laughs> Loves The Clangers. <laughs> Maybe he's transferred that onto my machine and I'll be he able to could watch have done that yeah. He's trying to get it on.
1: Um, do you want to take him just while I talk? Uh, Yes, is that absolutely. Right? Just for two seconds. It
0: will be uh, worth it.
3: I've taken it's I've like taken up a p- position in It's I'm, like a four hundred metre relay this, isn't it? Where it is. the, the baton is Ed. I'm so yes. sure trapped inside the table. I can be absolutely well, even less use than usual. Yes. Steve
1: is, is the broodiest of us all and he is being he is he's ruled himself out of the running.
3: it's so yes. genius. Yeah. Well brood broody you use this word. Do you're I, the I most like kids. That's what I mean. I have two of them. I'm not saying you want another one. No. Want God, to birth one not work. And in fact I, I quite you know, I other people's kids often bring you know quite a lot of joy because you, you know I back. can just hand them back exactly. yeah. I don't well, have to deal with that when I get home
1: the reason I've fobbed my son off on Hugh is that I think so I for a long time I was very much of the view that it was because of the 24-hour media saturation of football that it seemed to matter more because you couldn't escape it you couldn't I remember going to school when I was when I was a kid and my team had lost and and You'd have to you would have the Mickey taken on Monday, maybe Tuesday by Wednesday there might be another game if not you'd be looking forward to the next game anyway, so everyone had forgotten and I think that was probably mirrored in workplaces as well that that there was kind of a, a forty eight hour cycle say for how much it impacted now it kind of it chases you the result chases you through yeah. the week wherever you are in the world and I think that that's a large part of why we've we've given it this outside significance, but the other thing that isn't to do with kind of social media, and and isn't the media's fault. Like everything, is I is I wonder whether we have fewer identifiers now as people, and therefore the ones that remain have become much more important. So you can no longer identify yourself as part of a company for life because those jobs don't exist in a lot of, in a lot of cases. Yeah. You're no longer quite so uh, attached to your hometown because you might have moved for work. Ah, so it's inclusion. Your your family oh. might have been fractured you might, have a, you might have a divorce you might have yeah. two three generations of divorce you might you might have a sort of family unit that's, that's spread all over the country or all, all over the world you you have far less kind of commu- far fewer communities that you belong to so you not only seek out new communities and that's now ordinarily online which is why you see the growth of quite a lot of kind of fringe communities are coalescing around certain beliefs like chemtrails which is perfectly normal and not like not a ridiculous conspiracy theory at all Um <laughs> they aeroplanes for crying out loud um, but the but you you, you I guess you cling on to the stuff that that you can still feel part of and your football team is one of those things it is the, I always find it really odd people say you know you can change your wife but you can never change your football team and you think you probably can change your football team We we you know that fella that fella's dad did it like three times and he's perfectly happy and also don't try and change your wife and also don't talk about her like she's an object mm. but um
2: So again, does does that fuel the first, the the fierce kind of tribalism then? Because it's, again, it has ramped up. The importance has been ramped up because because of other things have dissipated. So again, yeah, so it becomes absolutely everything.
1: It's one of the few things that you can still cling on to as as part of you that hasn't changed. It's an identifier for you at a time when so many of your other identifiers have ebbed away. Mm. And therefore, you you are inclined all across the world, not just in Argentina, to give it more... (laughs) significance than it deserves and I think that's probably at the root of it all.
3: It's, it's a bit like how you believe that everybody agrees with you on social media well that's because you've sought out those people who share your views mm. and those are the people that you follow you want you know once you've chosen your football club or you've had it chosen for you that becomes your tribe doesn't it there's so many like-minded people that it and I often wonder which bit of it is na- nature and nurture does, mm. does the way that you think dictate not necessarily which football club you support because that often is inherited as we previously discussed but how you support that club and how strongly and how passionately you throw yourself into being part of that tribe or is it that the 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 other people who support the same team as you and have that sort of like-minded mentality actually influence your thought processes going going forward it's a bit like you know bringing a a child into the world and how much of it is nature how much of it is nurture I think the way the way you support I, I you know often think you know, and Chinch will remember this from his time with Manchester City, playing with for Manchester City. That the identity of the City fan is very slowly changing. Where we live in Manchester, you know, mm-hmm. back back in the day, they almost sort of took pride in the fact that they were the the second of the two teams in the city, and that you know that was became their their, their raison d'etre, didn't it? The way that they stuck by their team through mainly mm-hmm. thin times yeah. gave them that sense of pride. And I think there's one or two City fans now who, much as they're enjoying the way that City play, actually. But miss, yeah, you you find their ways reason, their reason reason for being. If
0: if you have yes, partly chosen your club, but also your chubbers club has chosen you for all the reasons that we spoke about when we talked about who your club is and why you get to support that club, is that you try and make the best of it. You try and find happiness yeah. um, because we we have a life in following football that is so dominant because you can't win every. Uh, City is a bad example, but you can't win every game. You can't win every trophy, so you're going to face some sort of disappointment until now. <laughs> until now. We're going to have to have this conversation on different uh, context uh, in a year's time. But the, you you yes you make the best of it. You say, well I'm I'm always we we had that conversation about being promoted or or being at the top of the championship yeah, yeah. perennially. Yeah. You find you find happiness where you find happiness because you want you want it to matter enough so that you can have a, a, a positive experience. There's no there's no point in supporting a club and only focusing on the negatives, mm. and then also thinking it's really important, because mm. that's, that's not, that's not mm. where happiness lies.
3: And, and to pick up on something that Rory said, you, know, you, can, you can support the team where you're from, you can be a proud fan of the team, but not necessarily love where you live or not have ambitions to live elsewhere, or equally, you can be incredibly proud of the environment in which you've been brought up and where you reside, but can support a team... From somewhere else. That, mm-hmm. that, the, the way your passions manifest themselves can, can be very, very different and the same way as you can you know, support your country and hope they win at, at whatever sport they're competing in, but that doesn't mean you have to also approve of everything else that, that identifies your country at the same time.
0: Well, I think uh, I think we've done everything. We've uh, most importantly um, talked about the fact that uh, there was uh, a legitimacy behind Rory Smith, from New York Times uh, attempts to cover the couple of which is really the reason why we had this conversation. That, that's <laughs> not true, of, of course, you, and you well know it. And that's um, why I've said it right at the end where no, it didn't really. Do you know the thing? The, the thing that I should
1: say about that whole thing, and for people who don't who don't know what we're talking about, don't bother finding out. Yes, it's really not no worth no it. There's
0: no, which is why is we have not referred to the no. person directly. No.
1: And it's it's entirely fine to disagree with with what i write about anything yes. and whatever a journalist writes about anything and it's in, and it, you should you should disagree with stuff and i learned a lot from that conversation i it, it without question honed my approach to the subsequent stuff i wrote about the libertadores and will influence what i write in the future because it all those conversations can uh can can improve you as a person as and as a journalist uh, but all i say is maybe don't uh, just make assumptions about people. I'd because because of what they do for a living it strikes me being a bit essentialist
0: um, just before Andy's soccer story that was beautifully cyclical Rory thank you very much indeed you remember the last one from a couple of weeks ago mentioned Magnus Pike we've already mentioned yes, Magnus Pike yes, already on the, yes. on the programme today well you have yeah. um, and we uh, we all had to Google him because Chinch is 10 years older than the rest of us so his cultural references often miss the target <laughs> uh, Paul Dixon got in touch gentlemen and Chinch so if you remember a hit by Thomas Dolby in the 80s called She Blinded Me With Science mm-hmm. Magnus is the tremulous voice you hear throughout the record singing the title with different inflections.
2: Really? So anybody who
0: doesn't know Magnus Pike from his scientific contributions to culture can go and find Thomas Dolby's hit in the 1980s called She Blinded Me With Science to hear Magnus Pike on a hit record. Yeah, but
2: look at his scientific work first then look at him singing because he was a scientist more than he was a vocalist yes. some yeah.
0: people might try and just have the n- the nice kind of accessible stuff Okay. Uh, so okay. which obscure nutritional scientist will chinge invoke today it's <laughs> time for never mind Jack and Ori what a soccer story and so when Andy tells the tale of his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel where the details
2: removed Well, I was, at, I was at Man City from well I was there as a kid but actually as a pro from kind of 86, 87 through to 1990 and I came across some interesting characters interesting goalkeeping characters in oh, yes. city back in that day now Alex Williams was there. Yes. Lovely man still at Man City yes, now. Um, uh, Perry Suckling, Pauling goalkeeper. <laughs> and, but very attractive man. And Eric Nixon. Do you remember? Yes, we Eric remember Nixon. Eric Nixon. He, yes. was, he was massive. He must have been about six foot five. As wide as he was tall, six foot five. And he didn't <laughs> suffer fools. Not the sharpest of pencils. <laughs> but you didn't tell him that because he would fall over and kill you. Um, and... After I retired 2002, the country wept, I was at home for a while bringing up the kids. And then the kids got old enough to be taken to, to football matches. So living in, in the Stockport area, I thought, well, why don't I go down the Silk Road and go and watch the mighty Macclesfield play?
0: Doing well now under Sol Campbell.
2: Under Sol Campbell. One, played one, lost one. <laughs> um, Anyway, at they've time got of as Sol said, they've got one of the greatest players ever to have played the game. Yes, but you're managing Sol, so try and be good at that. Anyway, I got off the point. So I think where can I take my kids? So obviously, got the big grounds; it costs a fortune, so, and the, the experience can be a bit. So I said, let's just go somewhere earthy, somewhere local, Macclesfield Town. So we go down the Moss Rose. So, obviously, you pay your money. And it's, it, I don't know whether you've ever been to Macclesfield. You you, you've few, been yes, there, a yes. Few times, yes. The, the, the Star Lane end. Do you know the Star Lane end behind the goal? With the Audi oh, garage behind oh, it. Oh, yes. So, you know what I'm talking about age, here. Okay, so, you yeah, pay yeah. your money. So, the kids must only be eight, ten years old, maybe the first game they've ever been to. So And, again, I'm amazed. There's no seats. They're standing behind there with those metal bars that you can lean against to watch the game. So, the team's come out. Matt come out about ten past two to warm up. And... Um, I see kind of a familiarish figure not necessarily jogging but kind of coming over with the coaching staff to warm the goalkeepers up and as he gets closer and closer, I'm thinking wait a minute that's Eric that's Eric Nixon that's Eric Nixon I didn't even realize he was part of the coaching staff at, uh, at Macclesfield now Eric proceeds to warm up the two Macclesfield goalkeepers but what's really interesting about it is in his hand he had an egg and bacon sandwich <laughs> It's one of the most extraordinary things. Ever. And the, even worse than that, he then saw me, acknowledged me, and carried as if, oh, I better put this sandwich down. This looks a bit unprofessional. Carried on kicking balls to the gut go- with an egg and bacon sandwich in his hand. Now, I don't know whether that's brilliant. Would you ever see Pep? You think Pep would go out with a bargain bucket and start warming the goalkeepers up? It's one of the most incredible, and I just think no one seems to be surprised by it, unless he's done worse. He's come out with like a rotisserie chicken or something. I don't know. But the fans, no one, I was looking at him thinking, he's got a sandwich. Can no one see how bizarre this is? But just the most incredible thing I've ever. seen. again, I just I didn't mention it because he is still the size of a house, and he wasn't someone that was going to upset. But the most extraordinary warm up I have ever seen in my life, and he didn't he didn't miss a bite, and he didn't drop anything. He, he, he consumed a whole lot whilst giving the goalkeepers a damn good warm-up.
0: Uh, thank you very much indeed uh, for that one, Andy. Um, that's, g- genuinely, if you were to meet Eric Nixon now, mm. um, I imagine he'd be having a conversation with you with a full rack of ribs, but also <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would suggest reminding him of that story. Yes, uh, the crowd. That. Ed thought that, thought that story was hilarious. I like the idea of, of
1: Pep kind of approach
0: <laughs> it's very good why have you got Ed to pant on the microphone that is a terrible a terrible thing to is that, be cultivating is that, is that bad content yeah. that's no that's excellent content <laughs> he's very determined I think, his, I think
3: his interest in the microphone spell, you know, bodes well for a career in broadcast. could
0: though. do, uh, unstable though yes, the
1: technique though is excellent absolutely, I was going to say I like the idea of Pep guys, guys, we need Ed and Baton before the game
0: <laughs> <laughs> the quality of the Ed and Beton is very important <laughs> Uh, we leave a reminder of how to get in touch <laughs> setpiece menu is where we are on twitter or setpiece menu at gmail.com facebook.com forward slash setpiece menu please subscribe share rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule uh, thank you as well for all your votes uh, for the football supporters federation uh, podcast of the Year award we genuinely are so very very grateful um, if you could also not vote for the Guardian at the same time next year, that would be really good. Um, <laughs> thank you to Steve, to Andy, and to Rory, and to Ed as well. And to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece many for you to enjoy very soon indeed.
3: We did miss you, by the way, in London. I think it would have been nice if if Andy and Rory had been there as well. Good a night as as we had.
0: It would it would have been lovely. It would have been able. It, we would have been able to to counteract our unnecessary alcoholic intake with with two. Folks who don't intake alcohol, yeah, two teetotalers might out. have helped us out actually. Yeah, uh, but we ha- had a very nice time. And, and Rory, just um, before we sign off today, um, one more email that actually came through from my dad whilst he was um, in uh Chile, so there's weird, weird kind of geographical uh, elements to this. He was in Chile and he noted because somebody told him that New York Times, the Rory Times, had in fact. Nominated Winchester as the best place to visit this Christmas in the whole of Europe, and my parents are both guides at Winchester Cathedral. So, if you are going to Winchester, which, as the New York Times suggests, you should—oh, girl guides, oh guides, no guides, sorry, yeah, yeah. um, historical—they are—they are are as qualified to talk about Winchester Cathedral as Rory is about the Copa Libertadores final, and um, that's probably, yeah, that's probably not true, Um, and. So if you if you are taking uh, Rory Smith's papers advice to visit Winchester, for which Winchester Cathedral is very grateful, so much so they had it on their newsletter, which was received by my parents on holiday in Chile, and they emailed me to tell me, then uh, pop in to Winchester Cathedral and ask to be guided around by Mr. or Mrs. Ferris. Is it a good tour? Have you it's have an you excellent tour? I've, tour? I've, I've yeah. been on it. I've been on it. I is think it
2: twice. Is it entertaining and informative? It is
0: both or entertaining and is informative. It? And you, she could, you very could probably do brass parents,
3: rubbings on the way round oh
2: that'd be really extraordinarily lucky. good yes I I'd like a bit of that
0: I don't actually know if that's true or not um, but yeah so thanks New York Times thanks New York Times will you pass it on to the New York Times that Winchester is very grateful like as a community I'll tell them you will I'll, tell them I'll, I'll do it around Robin do it around Robin <laughs> <laughs> is, there a, is there an email address New York Times yeah. dash all <laughs> yeah staff all staff all staff yeah. all staff yeah. at yeah. NYT <laughs> on behalf of Europe Can I say thank you?